Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts uh, chapter 8, the book of Acts chapter 8. We're going to be reading uh, from there this morning. And I just believe God has something to say um, to us in this moment today. So we're going to be reading from Acts 8. Got a little ring up here if you could help me with that. Thank you. So <clears throat> we're, we've been going through the book of Acts as a, as a church, just um, kind of working our way through the book of Acts. We've gone from one of the saddest days in the church, which was the crucifixion, to an explosion of the church 50 days later at Pentecost in the upper room. So the people in the book of Acts are really figuring out that what Jesus said, which was, it is better for you that I go away because when I go away, I will send the Holy Spirit. They could not believe that. They could not fathom that they would be better off without Jesus in the world and, and with this unnamed, unknown Holy Spirit. But they are seeing that. They are seeing this working out in their, you know, in their lives. So if you're new... This is the fifth part. All of the previous messages are on YouTube and iTunes and, and our Facebook page. But the book of Acts records the first 30 years of the church after the resurrection of Jesus. The first 30 years of the church after the resurrection of Jesus. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 1. I want to bring you up to date because the first sentence of Acts 1 takes us back to the previous chapter, okay? So uh, in the previous chapter, if you remember, Stephen uh, was preaching the gospel. He was arrested. He was put on trial. And while he was giving his defense of the gospel, the mob could not, you know, could not contain what they were hearing. And they rushed him. They did not even wait for a verdict to be rendered. Uh, they rushed him. They took him outside the city. They grabbed him. They started, you know, getting ready to stone him. And as was the case when you stone someone, the witnesses in the trial, they are the ones who were the first ones to throw the stone. That way it kind of, maybe somebody's conscience about lying, you know, would be affected. So the witnesses, the scripture says, are taking their outer coats off so they can have greater flexibility when they, when they stone. And they are letting someone hold their outer coats. His name is Saul. And you remember the story from last week. In a brutal way, they stone Stephen. His face is like an angel, the Bible says. His last prayer was that of, you know, of, uh, of forgiveness. Please forgive those who are, you know, who are doing this to me. And he dies. That's the end of seven. And then we go immediately to Acts 1. And let's look at that. And Saul... The man holding their coats approved of their killing him. 
On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So this is the first time that Saul is mentioned in the scriptures and Paul. At this time, he is around uh, 30 years of age, somewhere around 30 years of age. So uh, he was alive, but he was younger at the time of Jesus. So we don't know the interaction that Saul as a young man might have had, you know, with Jesus. Saul was raised, of course, Jewish. He was raised in a Pharisee's home and that kind of life, because normally if you are a Pharisee, you've come from the Pharisee home. Saul seems to have been the leader of this persecution. So he is in, he is there when Stephen dies. He seems to be the official. He's holding the coats. He's right up close to the stoning of Stephen. And then it says, you know, he gave his consent. So he's he seems to be the government official when they were ready to stone him. It was Saul that probably gave the nod for Stephen to be stoned. Saul is becoming more angry, aggressive, and violent in his actions toward the church. So we read he gave consent to Stephen and then it says he began to destroy the church. They started going house to house these people are knocking on the doors. There's no warrant. They're seeking out believers. They're going house to house, opening the doors. Are you a follower? If somebody recognizes them, they are pulling them out. They are dragging them out in the street without legal pronouncement, without any legal justification. Men and women are now being put in prison. They're being beaten. And this all comes from the hands of Saul. Now, I want you to see the big picture here because this happens sometimes in people's life. This type of rapid spiritual decline starts when God begins to deal with you sometimes, all right? So we always think, man, the first time the Lord touches our heart, we run to the altar, but I'm just telling you, sometimes you have a little bit different results. You know, what used to move you spiritually doesn't move you anymore. What used to bother you doesn't bother you anymore. And it can be a sign that your heart is becoming more hardened to the gospel. When you ignore God's call for salvation or to walk away from some sin in your life, your heart can become hard before God. Are you hearing me? Everybody goes, hey, I got plenty of time, I got plenty of time, I got plenty of time. Yes, you may have plenty of time, but there is something that happens when you, when you hear God's voice and you willfully turn away from that, it can harden your heart. We saw that in the story of Moses through Pharaoh. We see it also through Saul and Stephen's interaction. So here's Saul. He is five feet away from the 
from the stoning of Stephen. He's holding their coats. He's watching this up front. He is hearing the message of the gospel that Stephen is presenting. He's seeing this angelic face upon his, you know, uh, upon Stephen's life. He is hearing the prayer, uh, not of anger, of vengeance, but he's hearing, he's hearing the prayer. He sees this gospel witness. He does not give in to the, or give, uh, give in to the invitation that Stephen is giving to receive the gospel. And now look at him. He's becoming more angry, more violent. You know, his heart is becoming more hard. Hebrews warns us. He said, watch out that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So when you hear the Lord's voice, and you turn away from it, you willfully turn away from it, there is something that happens that your heart becomes hard, your ears become a little more deaf to the gospel, the eyes become a little more blind to God's moving in your heart. And I just want to say there can be a rapid spiral that begins to happen in you in your life. You find yourself doing things that you've never done before. You find yourself saying things that you've never said before, thinking things that you've never said before, doing things that even surprise you. You're even shocked at your own self, how far you've allowed yourself to go. And some of you this morning know that there has been a heart change in your life. You're not the same person that you used to be. And that can happen when you hear the gospel, you hear the drawing, feel the drawing of the Holy Spirit. You intentionally turn yourself away. Your heart can become more hard. All right? On that great day of persecution, on that day, the day of Stephen's death, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged them off, men and women, and put them in prison. So... Once they start knocking on the doors, just dragging people out, arresting them, man, the people, the believers in Jerusalem, you know, man, they're, I mean, they're afraid, which you can't, you can't blame them. So they immediately disperse. Those that are left, man, they, they flee. They go, they go north to Judea. They go south to Samaria. I mean, they're getting out of town. So they were so afraid that immediately they make quick decisions and all these believers are now scattering. Some of the leaders are staying into Jerusalem, but most of them are scattering north and south. Okay. And it, and it said, you know, that, that the persecution had begun on the day that Stephen died. But can I just remind you of something this morning? What is meant for evil, God can turn for his good. All right. What is meant for evil, God can turn for his good. What was meant to stop the church in actuality was the beginning of a missionary movement that would touch the entire continent there. God used this persecution to start a regional revival. What was meant for evil, God can turn for good. Now, I just want to remind you what Jesus said about persecution. Okay, 
I want to tell you, and I've been reminding you, that I think things have shifted in our country. We've flown under the radar. We've had a certain grace to operate. The church has, the evangelical church. I think things are changing there. We need to be reminded of a few things today. What did Jesus say about persecution of the church and the followers of Jesus? Matthew 5, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say thing, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Did you get that? Insulting, persecution, and then they're not even true. They're not even seeking truth. They want to peg you with a lie. All evil things because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets that were before you. So I want to say to you today who, who felt like, man, we've had a pretty good run. Things, I'm just telling you, things have changed. I think the heat against believers in the church is about to, to turn up. I think we're about to go through a season that we've never walked through before. We've always enjoyed the affirmation of culture and government, and that has changed. So if you're a person that believes that God created the world, all right, that's you. There may be trouble in your, if, that's, if that's a belief, especially if you work in academics in any way. But you know, I want to say this past week, I think God has powerfully spoken again to the world. If you saw the web, the web photos, you know, from, from space, and we saw the, the wonderful glory of God, uh, to me, it is, it is God, God responding, responding, God, God reminding, reminding people that there, that there is, is a greater, greater other than, other than the, the mind, mind of science, science and randomness, that, that those photos are just mindful of a, a, a creator that had a, 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 a creative order in our life. And I watched those photos and adjusted to, to me. It was God going, no, going, no you are not a product of chance. You are not a product of randomness. There was a divine creator at the very beginning of time that was the author and the architect of all of this. But if, but you, if believe you believe that God, that God created, created the earth, the earth. If, you if you believe that marriage was created, was created for, one for one man and one woman, if you believe that abortion is the killing of an unborn, unborn, child. unborn child, if you believe if you that there are only two genders, if you believe that Jesus Christ, Christ is Lord and is the only way to heaven, we now find ourselves the enemy of our governmental laws and of our culture. Okay? All right, we're looking back in history, but actually, this is our roadmap to the future. All right, harassed, intimidated, persecuted to be silenced, shamed, mocked, sometimes, you know, sometimes in prison. And I want you to know listen, that is happening all across the world. It's, it's starting here, but it's all across. The world that believers are experienced and have experienced persecution. Sixty years ago, Castro took over Cuba. One of the first things that he did um, was he banned the church. He knocked down buildings. You know, like you couldn't you couldn't meet 
believers were persecuted. They were put in jail. He, he, he sees the schools and it's filled with Marxist and Leninist, you know, kind of, kind of thinking there. And, and this revolution, they, they use the term Viva la Revolucion, which means long live the revolution. And they thought that they had stamped out every part of the church. But can I tell you, there's a new revolution that's going on in the nation of Cuba today. The church is coming alive in Cuba unlike in an unprecedented way. I'm just telling you this morning, morning in, assemblies in Assemblies of God, of God churches, churches, there are over almost 9,000 AG churches, house groups, cell groups this morning as we worship. There are over 600,000 assemblies Assemblies of God, Cuban believers, most of them under the age of 30. Let me tell you something. What was meant for evil, God can turn for good. And a persecution doesn't stamp out the church. It just pours gas on what God is doing. So I want to remind you, when hardship comes upon the church and upon your life, this promise of Jesus, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Sometimes persecution is what God uses to wake up a sleeping church. And I think that's what he's doing in this moment. So social media can shame and cancel the church. Governments can make laws to restrict our message. They can imprison church members, but the church will keep on going. Let me tell you that this morning. This church was not birthed with the applause of men and the affirmation of the crowd. This church was birthed with a handful of people on a hill called Calvary in the midst of mocking and shaming. And 50 days later, the power of God on Pentecost fell again upon the church in the midst of ridicule and shame. So persecution does not discourage us. It empowers us to do greater things for the Lord. <clears throat> On that day, it says a persecution broke out against the church and all of the apostles, you know, uh, all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. So they're gone. All right. But now the chapter he focuses on, a, on an unusual character here, Philip. I want you to look at verse 4. <clears throat> Those that had been scattered preached the gospel wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with screams, impure spirits came out of many, for many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. All right, so let's, let's look at Philip just for a moment. I mean, when does Philip ever get any spotlight, okay? This is a surprise. Some of you are going like, who, who, who is this guy? So Philip was one of the original disciples. He wasn't the, you know, one of the, uh, the leaders of the disciples. He wasn't. You know, he did not get invited to the transfer, uh, Transfiguration Club. 
Remember the exclusive club Jesus invited? He wasn't invited there. He didn't get invited to the Gethsemane private prayer meeting. That was, you know, another club. You know, he's, he wasn't in the top three. You know, he has no great miracles attached to his name at this point. No great spiritual quotes. You know, the longest sentence that Philip ever said in the Bible that is recorded is that the, the feeding of the 5,000 when they're all kind of realizing, you know, they, they have limited means. And it's Philip, this man of faith that says, hey, we don't have enough food to feed everyone. Okay. That's his spiritual quote. That's how he is known in the Bible. Okay. He's a type B personality. And for some of you, Philip needs to be your role model, okay? He's behind the scenes. He's a little shy. He's more comfortable behind the scenes. He's shy. He's tentative. He's not one that's normally comfortable, you know, on the stage at all. But I want to say sometimes type B people use that as an excuse not to be spiritual or as passionate as they could because they always default to other people. I'm not as qualified. I don't have the gifts and the experience that, that, other, people, that other people have. So I want you to see how God uses Philip. In a, in a powerful way. Number one, Philip will be remembered for traveling to Samaria, okay? So you remember when Jesus was there in John chapter 4, the Samarians, Samaritans had racial animosity against, you know, against the Jews. The Samaritans were rejected from Jewish society because they were not considered a pure Jew because of their intermarriage. So if you remember, the Assyrians invaded uh, Israel, and they intermarried with the Jewish people, and Samaritans were half Assyrian, half Jews. So the Jews did not like them. Now, one reason is because the Assyrians were the invaders. So it would have been like in World War II if someone had a child of a German soldier. It would have, it would have had that feel to it. So they did, not, they did not like the Samaritans. So Philip, here's type B Philip, who chooses this hostile invasion environment to go and spread the gospel. He did not choose an easy place at all. He comes to a place where there is little religious activity, no strong presence of God, but he comes, he comes to the Samaritans. But God uses Philip with signs and wonders and miracles. They are present, okay? This type B individual. So it says when the crowds heard Philip, and saw the signs that he performed, they all played, paid close attention to what he said with screams and impure, with screams, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed uh, or lame were healed, and there was great joy in the city. So here he is, type B, shy, intentive, but can I remind you today that there's no second string in the kingdom of God. Every power, every gift, all anointing is available to any believer who will step into that moment and trust God. So don't let your life be defined by your Myers-Briggs or your Enneagram score. You let God fill you with the Spirit and you go do the works of God. So he's in Samaria and then he travels in a city and he comes across this guy that's involved in witchcraft. His name is Simon. Simon. 
Simon, the scripture calls him Simon the sorcerer, says that he had, he had practiced sorcery. He had amazed all the people with his sorcery. He had this reputation of, of witchcraft. So this is not a term that we use a lot today, but I'm just telling you it's very real. Now, let me just remind you, you know, probably we all had the little magic box when we were kids. Remember that? Had the big plastic cylinder. You put the big coin in it, put the top on it, put the nail on the side. You know, you remember that? Like you were punching a nail through the, uh, through the coin. I mean, we all had those kind of little magic tricks there, but this is not that. It said the people were amazed at what Simon was doing. Simon had developed a reputation in Samaria for sorcery and witchcraft. Okay, which means... Spells, incantations, curses, talking to the dead, and black magic. And black magic is, is this uh, capacity of people to do certain kind of things, kind of tricks that'll kind of get you curious and keep walking down this pathway of darkness. And Simon was there. He was given over. His reputation was known because of his sorcery. So I want to just say to you that, that think, man, that's, that's not real today. You cannot be more wrong. You cannot believe in the power and presence of God and the framework of good without believing, you know, in evil and the presence of evil. The powers of Satan and demonic powers are real and they are active in everyday life. You don't need to think that is something that's just for the Bible times. It is for real, and we see it every day. We all watch the, the horrific video of the school shooting in Uvalde. I can't imagine anything more unimaginable, anything more evil than that. I'm just telling you, you see the fingerprints of demonic power that are, that are in the news everywhere. And I want to say to some of you today, you need to stay away from anything and anyone who's involved in witchcraft, the occult, sorcery, and black magic. You need to stay away. It's not a game. Sometimes it's presented as curious and fun, but I'm just telling you, it's very dark and there's nothing more serious, you know, than, than, than to be involved in, in this kind of things. People are lured to this by curiosity, but when you do, you open yourself up to a power, you know, a demonic power that only Jesus can set free. So you need, if that's a part of your life, I'm giving you a pastoral warning this morning, you need to come that stuff out of your life. You need to get those people out of your life. What starts with curiosity ends up with spiritual bondage. Okay? But Simon, he's got this reputation and then, wow, then he sees what Philip's doing. I mean, he's got a few little card tricks. He's, uh, you know, shuffling some things around and, you know, amazing people. But let me tell you, he's seeing people that he's known come to faith in Jesus Christ. He's seeing demonic spirits being cast out. He's seeing healings of those that have been known in Samaria for a long, you know, for a long period of time. And he hears the gospel and Simon surrenders himself to the Lord. 
Simon gives himself over. Uh, uh, Simon gives himself over to the uh, to the Lord. It says, "When they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized." He saw, he saw this game, this charade, what he was doing, and he had some limited spiritual power. But he came in contact with a power that was unbelievable, that was changing hearts and lives and miracles. And Simon himself said, man, there's no comparison against this dark, this dark power that I have versus the power of God. And can you imagine that altar call on that day when Simon walked down, gave his heart to Jesus, threw away his back? of magic tricks and said I'm not done let's find some water I want to be baptized I want to be a follower of Jesus and then God's not through with Philip same chapter listen the Lord won't give you any rest you know I mean when you're on a roll I mean he'll he'll just keep going and going and going so now Peter I mean excuse me Philip the Holy Spirit tells him Start walking down this road. So he starts walking south toward Gaza. Doesn't know where he's going. Doesn't know what's about to happen. And he comes up on a chariot on the side of the road. And it's an official chariot. And it's got the insignias of the Ethiopian government. So here's this chariot from uh, the Ethiopian government. And in it is a government official from Ethiopia, who happens to have a copy of the scripture, and he just is hap- just happens to be reading the scripture as Philip walks up there. Okay, so Philip he runs up to the chariot and he heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. The scripture says, Philip says, "Do you understand what you were reading?" Okay. And the guy says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? Folks, do you need any bigger softball tossed in your way? Okay. Some of you, you need something like this, right? So he just happens to be reading this passage in Isaiah. This is the passage that he's reading. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his dependent descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, please tell me who is the prophet talking about himself or somewhere else? And Philip began that very passage of scripture and told him about the good news of Jesus. And as soon as he gets through... The, the Ethiopian government official says, hey, where's some water? I want to be baptized. So, listen, God is using Philip publicly in a powerful way, but he's also using him individually as well. We always want to find the balance that God can use us publicly, but also individually. And also, you never know how God is orchestrating your path to bring you into contact with someone who needs to hear the message of hope. He just told Philip, 
start walking south. He didn't tell him what was going on. Some of you, you need a play-by-play. You need the 10 points of how God's going to use you. Just obey the first word, and God will lead you into everything else that he, that he wants to do. So I want to say again about Philip, and going to move on, okay? Now, what, what is the difference between the Philip that could not, you know, how can we feed these people? There's not enough food to the man who is preaching in a hostile environment. He's bold. What happened to this man? I want to remind you, he was there in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, okay? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was still type B, but the Lord put something in him that gave him faith, that gave him boldness. So I want to say to you again, do not let your personality profile define you to the point that God cannot use you. Whatever your personality personality profiles say, please know that God has saved you, God has called you, God has filled you, and God is going to use you in a powerful way. All right? Last part, last part. Well, they couldn't believe what was going on in Samaria. They kept sending reports back to the leaders in Jerusalem going, hey, there is revival going on in Samaria. And they would go, there's no way. There's just no way. You know, number one, we don't really like them at all. And they're Gentiles. This is not, this is not possible, you know, because really this is kind of a Jewish thing that's happening. But they kept getting these reports of what God was doing in Samaria. So finally, they sent Peter and John to personally check it out. I want you to read verse 14. It said, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. Have you got that? When the apostles in Jerusalem, the leaders, heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So just some things that we can see from this particular passage about the Holy Spirit. Okay, number one, the Samaritans had a clearly experienced salvation. So Peter and John come in a little suspicious, you know, got to check this out. This cannot be true. I just want to say this morning to that person or persons that you think will never get saved, please know that God can change and transform their heart in a moment. Sometimes we file them away like, They'll never get, he'll never get that one. That one's too hard. So here they are looking at the Samaritans, Peter and John, and they had clearly experienced salvation and had taken the next step. They were baptized. So they come and the first thing that Peter and John did after they realized these Samaritans had been saved and they were baptized, they prayed, they laid their hands and they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, that's not me. 
That's the passage. They came in. They did a little investigation of these Samaritans. They saw them loving Jesus, serving Jesus, baptized in water, hearts changed and transformed. And once they realized that their salvation experience was legitimate and it was biblical, the very next thing that they did was lay their hands upon them for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I want to just talk about that for just a second, and then we're, gonna, then we're going to close. In my message on April the 4th, I spent a little more time on this. I'm just going to kind of mention it this morning. So if you want some more information on what I'm about to talk about, go back to my message on, on April, I think it was April the 4th or, or the week after. So there are two views about the present day workings of the Holy Spirit, okay? Two views about the present day work, excuse me, I, I'm wrong on that date, it's June the 12th. April is something else, June the 12th, okay? Um, two views about the present day workings of the Holy Spirit. One is that that's called a cessationist, okay? That is the view that the workings of the Holy Spirit as expressed in Acts ceased after the days of the apostles or they believe it ceased after the development of the New Testament. They kind of are not, some believe one way on that, some believe on the other. So they're wonderful people, our evangelical brothers and sisters, Baptist, Methodists, that, that would teach that the, the workings of the Holy Spirit, as related in the book of Acts, they ceased either when the apostles died or the, the canon, the New Testament, was developed. So that's one thought on the present day working of the Holy Spirit. The other is the continualist, the, the belief that the workings of the Holy Spirit, as expressed in the book of Acts, continue after the days of the apostles. Okay, That is our belief. We don't believe that there's anything changed. We don't ever read where, you know, boldly that, that, that what was available in the book of Acts stopped at the death of the apostles or the advancement or the, the, uh, the coming of the New Testament. We believe what was, was, was done in the book of Acts is a roadmap for the church today and the power and the presence of God that we see revealed in the book of Acts is still for you and I today. We are continualists. Can I just tell you, I'm a proud continualist. I'm an evangelical, spirit-filled, Arminianist continualist. I'm going to make a t-shirt with that. All right? Brent, worship team, you can come. Can I just say, there are many people that are moving from that cessationist belief because they're hearing seeing and sensing the voice of the Spirit in their life, okay? Now, you may not understand everything, you know, about this topic, the, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but some of you have been here long enough to know that we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. We believe in the the, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe in the, the, the rapture of the church. We believe in evangelism and, and missions. You know, like some people want to kind of paint us, you know, kind of we're out in left field when it comes to doctrinal belief. And I just go, no, that's not us. Okay. 
We love Jesus. We serve Jesus. He is the center of our lives. We believe in the Holy Spirit, but that is not the most important thing that happened to us. So, you know, you, some of you have been here uh, long enough to know, man, there's, there's really no, there's no doctrinal, you know, there's no doctrinal quirks. You know, but what happens is that people who come kind of from a, a cessationist background, they come and they sense something that's just a little bit different, okay? Now, I want to say that doesn't make us better than anyone. We don't claim, we don't come with any pride. We come with humility. But you come or you have come and you sense something. Amen. You may not be able to understand every part of that. Man, but you, you know that that's God's power and that God's, that's God's presence. You may not have everything worked out theologically, you know, but you come because you feel drawn of the Lord. Now, you may not tell everybody where you're going to church, all of your family members. They might have a few words for you, all right? So you come as a secret agent. And we welcome you. There are many that came as secret agents. <laughs> and they just, and you sense something that's, sense something that's different. And I just want to say to you this morning, looking at that passage, if you're here today and you've never asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, I want I want you to consider doing that because I believe there's something else that God wants to do in your life. We see in that last passage three milestones in a believer's life. Peter and John, they go to Samaria. What do they verify first? That they're serving God, that they're followers of Jesus, that they were baptized with water. And then what was the very next thing that Peter and John did? Once they verified the first, they laid hands on them and they prayed for them to be full of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So I want you to use that. Sometimes our mind, you know, has all kinds of different thinking on that. But I want you, I want to plant that seed in your heart that that's God's plan and path for believers revealed in very few passages. There's some of you that have been praying for the Holy Spirit. I've talked to some of you. You haven't quite pushed through to that yet. But I just want to tell you, man, you just keep praying. You just keep praying. You just keep believing. Just keep your heart open to God. You know, it took me three months. And my worst enemy was like right up here. Okay? But I just want to tell you, just keep asking. Just keep, just keep praying. Just keep standing on God's word. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And then Jesus says in Luke, if you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Okay? So I just want to say, I want you to be open to that. I want to see people receive that wonderful baptism of the, of the Holy Spirit that we that we saw in that particular chapter. Well, I, I just want to close, close this way. 
I think, I think God's doing something unusual in the world, okay? I think there's something that's happening in churches across the world and in America, you know, that's maybe that we haven't ever seen before. I think we're at the beginning. Personally, this is my belief that we are at the beginning of a great persecution that is about to come to the church. But also there's going to be a great empowerment in response to that persecution. I think that's, I think that's where we're, I think that's where we're headed. I just think something is different in the world. I'm just talking to friends of mine that are going, hey, we're just seeing some things unlike that we have ever seen. And I think God is stirring the church to be prepared and ready for the moment in the season that we are about to walk into. And as we read the book of Acts, we see several things that occur, you know, that, that, you know, that are, that are hallmarks of this move of the Lord. Number one, people are becoming followers of Jesus. We see it in Acts. We see it here. I mean, people are being saved. You know, the scripture says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I just think that's part of what God is doing. We see people in the, in the scriptures and acts and around the world are being filled with the Holy Spirit. They're opening themselves up. That promise of Jesus, people are opening themselves and God is equipping and, and empowering just like we saw in, in Philip's life. We saw in this passage, people are being delivered. Okay? All kinds of impure spirits, demonic spirits, they all have to come under the authority of, of Jesus Christ. Addicts can be set free. People can be delivered of unclean spirits and pornography. Their deliverance is part of, of the end time move that God is doing. Healings, we saw it in the passage. We've seen it here that healings are a part of what God is doing and, and miracles and signs and wonders are occurring in the world. Not so that we can applaud, but that we can point to the cross of Jesus that people can be saved because there's a sign that points to the Lord. There's a wonder that makes them ask larger questions about God and about life. All right. So I think something's happening in the world. And I want to say, I think something's happening unique in this house. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how to explain it. I'm the captain of the ship and we're going very fast and I have no idea where we're going. But I want to tell you, I think something shifted in this house on April the 4th. If you weren't in that service, you need to go back and you need to watch that service. God started doing something unusual in this body on that day. And I can't explain it. I don't know how to describe it at all. But I'm just telling you, over the last several months, we've had four people with medically verified healings in this house. We had two people who messaged me this week that said, I feel like God healed me in the service last week. I just felt like God healed me. So I want to tell you, I just feel like God's 
doing something in the world and God is stirring something in this church. And I just want to say, I don't want to go to any other church but a book of Acts church. That's where I want to go. That's where I want to go. That's where I want to go. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.